You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Georgian Freeman. She is board certified in family medicine and is in practice in Austin, Texas. She is the owner, CEO, CFO, and CMO of Downtown Doctor. She's a traditional osteopathic physician treating all of you. She listens to her patients, works together in partnership to find what is right to truly feel better. Dr. Freeman also offers health coaching for women over 40. I'm so excited to be with you here in this conversation. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Well, tell me about your story into osteopathic medicine. I grew up in a family where my father was a surgeon. He's a retired orthopedic surgeon. Excuse me. MD. I I did not know what a DO was until I had a horrible ski accident when I was at Lewis and Clark College, little undergrad college in Portland, Oregon, and threw my back out horribly, had a disc herniation, sent the x-rays to my father. He said he'd have his partner operate on me. I was 19 at the time, and that was Mm. pretty common back then. The pain was so great that I needed something in the meantime to get me through to go back to Texas, my home state. And the nurse at the college introduced me to an MD Chinese doctor who also did acupuncture. And he did a few rounds of acupuncture. I was not interested in taking any medication uh, for the pain at that time, but they did talk me into the whole needles thing and got me really well managed with my pain and talked me into postponing the surgery, which ended up not ever having the back surgery. And although it caused a great rift between my father and myself for several years, he now is very happy and fast to admit that that was the best thing for me. And then fast forward years later, when I started being interested in helping people, but I, I just wasn't drawn to the MD model. I, I, I flew back to Oregon and I met with that doctor and he told me about osteopathy mm-hmm. and that had he known about it, he would have done it because it really bridges that Eastern and Western medicine together. And that's what I love so much about what Dr. Still started for us. I had the great fortune of doing several rotations with Dr. Viola Fryman before mm-hmm. she passed mm-hmm. and I want to thank you, Amelia, for for carrying the torch and keeping this conversation going and keeping this ball that is osteopathic medicine viable and up in the air. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. And what a great moment and what an honor to be shared even in a sentiment with Dr. Fryman. And we're recording this on International Women's Day. So what a lovely time to to see all those threads come through. 
I'd love to hear about your experience. So you were introduced to the concepts and possibility of osteopathic medicine. And then what was it like when you entered into school? What were some of the maybe key features? Did it live up to your expectations when you were there? I wasn't so sure about the whole manipulation situation, but the more I got into it, the more I just loved it. And it always made an innate sense to me to remove barriers and that the body has its own inherent healing properties. And what I like to tell patients, even children is, hey, you know how when you get scraped on your knee or when you get a bruise, you can watch the stages of healing, the different colors that happen and the body heals itself. What we're going to attempt to do is just is tap into that, which you have inherently there and, and let me be the facilitator with you and to get those good chi healing juices flowing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that opportunity to really illustrate for the patient that they have it within and then some things get in the way, right? Life happens and we have some interruptions. And so being able to return to that, you know, we're not necessarily adding anything to that space, but we're just allowing the body to recognize itself again in that process. Yeah. And so in residency, what did you find as you were drawn to family medicine? What really brought you there? I was drawn to family medicine in a similar way that I I forget the woman's name you interviewed, uh, who's the ER physician. And she talked about how at the very end of, of her medical school training, she was almost drawn in by geriatrics and she loved peds and ICU and all the things. And, and that's how I felt. I was just super stoked on every rotation I did. So that's, that's good emergency medicine, but also family medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a little bit of everything. I also enjoy teaching. So I almost always have a medical student or a resident with me, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Yes. Yes. Dr. Tamara Beckford was the ER doc. And thanks for listening. That was such a yes. great episode. I loved her perspectives and how to bring, you know, that time and space and healing into the emergency room. Such a gift yeah. there. Yes. And tell me about teaching. So do you have osteopathic medical students or allopathic medical students as well when you have them with you? I only take osteopathic medical students. And I'm so excited to say that we're back in the run of things. Mm -hmm. I was always willing to have a medical student, but there were some constraints by the schools, which I totally understand not having students out in the field for a while. Mm -hmm. But now, even in the pandemic, we're having them and it's wonderful. I do have some patients who will schedule for back pain or neck pain and do the OMT. But what I really love is if I'm seeing someone for GERD or some kind of other issue and I can get in on the viscerosomatic reflexes and I'm almost constantly touching, palpating something on my patient and, and I'm explaining to the students I'm, I'm treating and I'm listening with my hands mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't need to be a separate thing that you have to think about. Just start, just start off as a DO, start off palpating, letting this be part of this connected. I'm using my hands. I'm realizing mm-hmm. you're on. <laughs> She's demonstrating the brain. palpatory procedure. Yes. <laughs> we yeah. can envision that. And I think that's so important. You know, I have the good advantage of teaching third and fourth year students doing the university of new England right now, virtually. So we've created a virtual rotation to kind of answer that void, you know, in the time of pandemic, when students were pulled, from that physical space. And that's what I love to illustrate for them is you were taught to listen in a different way because we had that lab for those first two years. Even if you're not utilizing OMT, you were taught there's more to the story. And so see if you can still bring that listening 
forward. So I love that you illustrate that point of listening with your hands and that it's not always the structural complaint, right? That can be addressed in that way. And what have you found with the students working with you in a traditional family medicine practice, utilizing osteopathic concepts and manipulative treatment as indicated? What have you seen from those students in their clinical years? I've developed a little thing. My, 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 my procedure is on day one or two of the rotation, I have the student or resident give me a full body treatment and they are shaking like the darling little leaves that, that they are uh, kind of terrified. I explain ahead of time there, there's no pass or fail on this part. I need to know where you are so that I can know where, what to turn you loose on for my patients and, and what not to and then we're going to talk during this time. And it takes about an hour to talk you through some things <clears throat> and give you an opportunity to ask some questions. And then they do a full body treatment at the end of the rotation and they always improve. It's really exciting for them and for me. I love when they set someone up and they get an articulation or, or, or they do a treatment and, and the patient just sighs and looks up and tells them how they feel better and the, the student looks over at me and they're, you know, they're just so excited that that little spark, something, something that can juice them up with dopamine. It, it's medical school as, as we remember and probably our brains try not to remember too much. It's so, it's so grueling. It's so hard, the whole didactic part. And I think that the, the OMT just can add this lovely little juicy tidbits, you know, along the way. <laughs> it is a rare opportunity, right, to see these immediate improvements, you know, and not that we need external approval. And we can talk about that from the coaching space, but it is nice, right, to know you have contributed to get some direct feedback, like you said, in times when that can be very delayed or it can seem like you're very low, you know, in the hierarchy in that space. And so to have that opportunity is a real gift. And I love that, that you have them treat at the beginning and at the end, in a non-punitive or judgmental way, but just to know a baseline, right? And then to see what the growth can be. And for me, one of my children's favorite teachers that I, I had, my favorite teacher, made up the point when we had a standardized test. And again, we could talk about those. But she said, all this tells me is where you are right now and that we're going to look for a year of growth. So whether you're ahead, behind, or in the middle of the curve, my job, right, is to nurture that forward from wherever you are. And that's such a gift, right? Just to be seen and met where you are and offered the opportunity to grow in a safe way. So you're not turning loose the students who might not be comfortable, right? Doing a treatment, any level of independently or those who are given some autonomy. So that's really fantastic that you've cultivated that way. Yeah. I like that she did that. That's great. She took the shame out for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So important. And so as you have moved into this development of downtown doctor, tell me about that experience to become the CEO, CFO, CMO, and owner. I was a National Health Service Corps scholar, and I think a lot of your listeners will be familiar, familiar with that concept. And for those who aren't, it's a lot like the Peace Corps in the United States. And a lot of your medical school debt can be offset if you will agree to work in an underserved area. And I had wanted to be a rural family doctor anyway, so that was in line with my with my mission statement. So I, I went to medical school, completed residency. My then husband and I moved to the Ozark Mountains, and I started work for a large corporation that owned a hospital and several outlying clinics. The 
very elderly doctor who I was working with in the clinic would ask me to get him coffee every morning, which I would, I don't think I even would have had a problem with, but he didn't really ask. He told me. And on my third day, he told me that my place in medicine was with the nurses. Mm. And I told him, you know, I tried to engage in a conversation with him. It didn't go very well. I, I was fired from that job. Mm. Then I was fired from my next job for pointing out after 18 months that the numbers in my contract did not align with the numbers on my paycheck. Mm-hmm. I was fired from that job and I got in a very dark place and I had not discovered coaching yet. And I absolutely abdicated everything to external sources Mm -hmm. and felt that I, I couldn't keep it. And I was newly married and my husband also kept asking me, why can't you keep a job? And I thought, why? I just, I I can't keep a job. Therefore I must be worthless. Mm -hmm. And I was actively suicidal at one point and really just told my husband, I'm, I'm going to quit medicine. And I had done some construction work in the past and he was a builder. And so I offered to come and help uh, hang drywall. And I think the thought of, uh, spending all day with me and all evening with me was enough to maybe support me in the decision to, to open my own clinic. Mm. And ultimately that's what I did. It was, it was not a happy feeling. It was not a, there was no joy in it for me. It was a last ditch effort to save my life and save myself. What I learned through this journey is that I'm just a really good leader I'm a natural born leader. I do question. I do actually advocate for myself. Now I look back and I'm proud of Georgianne from back in those days. And in particular, I love hiring young women, very open with them about, about my story, about my situation. And, and we joke because I teach them how to advocate for themselves and ask for raises. <laughs> And then, of course, when they do, I'm like, oh, I love it. I created a lot. It's going to cost me money. Fantastic. But it's totally worth it. We have very little turnover and we're a, we're a, a fun little family. So that's, that's really the story I kind of back-ended happenstance into this clinic. And then it's, I've been here nine years right in downtown Austin. So I got here right before Austin started to boom. And it's still booming like crazy. And we're growing with it. I've in, I incorporated telemedicine almost seven years ago into my practice. So I was an early adopter of technology and that's super fun. And of course, with the pandemic, we were well situated yeah. with Vivid and, and make some changes there. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing that story. I think many can resonate with that, especially right now when systems seem very unpredictable and uncertain and many struggling with, you know, suicidal ideation in this time. And absolutely you know, reach out and get the help you need. And we can put, you know, the suicide helpline in the notes and note that coaching is a resource, but not the only resource in the importance of reaching out for that. I hear in there, you know, that your self-healing came through. So what would you say was that remaining flame or even the ember, you know, what kept you going in that challenging time? Having 
been accepted to medical school, which I, I still say I think is the hardest part, having gone through medical school, having gone through residency, having that title, being a doctor to this day, it's just the greatest, the greatest thing that one can cultivate. And in, in my opinion, it's, it's a huge honor, the, the trust, the intimacy that we have with our patients, that, that another human would let us into to the most intimate details of their life is humbling and precious. Mm-hmm. And what would you say in there as you're crafting this private practice and we think about structure and function, what have you found to be those key points? You mentioned, you know, the technology being a key piece, maybe having the foresight to put that in place, structuring the relationships. Have you found any other key factors in there that have allowed for function to blossom because of the structure you've created? I really think at the end of the day, it's so simple. And I just want to give high quality medical care to my patients with, with my patients and creating a healing, fun, supportive atmosphere for people to work in. And that's, that's really it. I don't, I don't have a business background. Yeah. I really, had, you know, like if you look at it on paper, like I had no business opening a business. <laughs> and yet you figured it out. And we're learning that so much, especially in this year, right? We're, we're building all kinds of planes as we fly them. And it's okay, right? There's lots of resources and there are a lot of answers to questions. Yeah. But knowing your why really does matter. You know, we can look to Simon Sinek for guiding us there and having that vision and knowing you'll put those pieces in place to get there. I love the concept of it's figure outable too, right? Yes, right, yeah. (laughs) I I may not know the solution right now. It's probably figure outable. Yes, Marie Forleo wisdom as well. Well, you mentioned coaching, right? And how that may have been helpful to you in that space. And how did you come upon coaching? Was it for your own use? Or did you find it as an extension of your work with patients or otherwise? Facebook recommended a... Dr. Katrina Ubell. Mm-hmm. She has, do you, I don't know if you're familiar with her. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. The weight loss for busy physicians. And I listened to her years and her coach is Brooke Castillo mm-hmm. and Brooke Castillo and I have become friends. We became mm-hmm. friends almost a year ago. So there were connections that way. And so with, with the model, uh, that they, that they teach. That's, that's how I really came into coaching. And as I'm going through my menopause years, uh, more and more, I started having women coming to me in my practice, wanting to know about hormonal options and and other things. So I started doing health coaching for women over 40 and just helping them get to feeling as good as they can. And a lot of us, myself included, feel better than we did for the last couple of decades uh, without getting too much into medicine. I just want to drop the little nugget that uh, a lot of women are over estrogen producers. I was an over estrogen producer. So as soon as my body quit producing estrogen, I was like, wow, (laughs) dropped a bunch of weight, got all this like clear thinking and, um, I, I would say I have the sex drive of a 25 year old male <laughs> is mostly fun, but sometimes a little irritating. Yeah. Anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's so important to know, right? That there's typical, right? And then there's all the individual iterations of that. And so to give yourself some grace and space, if you're not experiencing things the same way as others you might hear from. Yeah. And do you coach one-on-one? Do you have groups? What's your methodology for engaging? I coach, I coach one-on-one, but I mostly do groups anymore. And, and I love it. I've given myself over because we can reach so many more people when we mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we're finding, especially again, in the time of the pandemic and access and scalability, that there is power in group treatments. And I've had you know, experience in training and biodynamics. And when I went to a course in Europe, they would have multiple families and multiple osteopaths in one space, you know, open air and all treating. And this is amazing. And I looked at bringing it here and everyone said, no, right. We have too many HIPAA laws and there's all these different, you know, blockades, right. Barriers to that, but I'm still holding out hope. And maybe the virtual space is the way that's going to bring that forward to us to have that, that group outreach and broader impact. Well, tell me about body, mind, spirit, and how you bring that in either to your practice or to your own health. I'd love to hear that expansion for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I, I don't think of them as separate, so I'm not, I'm not sure I have a, a good pat answer. Um, but it's all, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. We can separate it. Absolutely, and thinking of it as the unity is the point, right? And seeing how you nurture health that way. As you've been in these different locations for the different jobs and coming back to your home state of Texas, what was it like kind of reunite with your homeland? It feels like a totally different situation. I would not have come back to Texas had they not passed tort reform. I think my mm-hmm. father physically would not have let me come and practice uh, in the state of Texas uh, <laughs> had they not passed tort reform. So that was something great that finally happened. And we do have an osteopathic school in Fort Worth. So we have some DOs around Texas. Now we have two other osteopathic schools, uh, one in San Antonio and one in near Sam Houston, Huntsville. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to start having some nice crops of DOs, which will be fun. But my students come from all over. I'm an adjunct professor right now. My student is from Pikesville, Kentucky, Mm-hmm. I get folks from the California school up in Oregon, mm-hmm. Florida, Des Moines, which is my alma mater, Kirksville. Yeah, it's such a fascinating experience that most osteopathic students, right, are kind of sent out and to craft their third and fourth year experiences that way. And so you can get that diverse engagement there. Do you find some common threads working with students from all those different schools or do you notice some significance in school culture? you know, baseline, whether it's in osteopathic philosophy, treatment, or otherwise? I notice very different cultures, osteopathic cultures from each school. Currently, I'm in a conversation. I'm curious about this Kentucky school because I had, I had a Kentucky student. Now I have another Kentucky student, both delightful human beings, and both have told me that they really are not teaching HVLA on the cervicals. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with the dean of that school and finding out a little more about that. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate, as I know you are, about keeping alive the tenets of osteopathy. And I believe strongly, and I was trained literally in the last century, my experience supports that 
if if we know the anatomy and we know the physiology and uh, the anatomy is set up appropriately, I, I don't fear that I'm going to hurt someone. That's I don't that's not I don't come from that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always worth the conversation and knowing too, of course, where the connotations come in, you know, from other experiences of manipulation, perhaps outside of osteopathic medicine as well. And, yeah. and knowing too, what, what oversight we have for students. But I think engaging that dialogue and seeing what, you know, continuity and connection we can have across the schools, especially as they expand, you know, as you mentioned, tripling, you know, the, the school population in Texas. So, so yeah. powerful to see that growth in that space. Yeah. And as you engage with, you know, the, either the Texas Medical Association or the Osteopathic Medical Association, what are you finding as maybe a unified front there for osteopathic medicine throughout the state? I'm, I'm very active in my organizations. I'm active in the Texas Medical Association. I'm on the board of directors for TOMA, which is the Texas Osteopathic Medical Association. I'm very involved in Travis County Medical Society, which is my local County Medical Society, and I, if I had, if I was ever discriminated against as a DO, I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. I did an allopathic. That's my cat running around. Sorry, <laughs> very excited right now. Uh, I did an allopathic residency uh, in Seattle, Washington, a very progressive program, and they always had at least one DO student in their class. Mm-hmm. One DO in their class. And they liked for us to teach some simple manipulation techniques like suboccipital tension release, things like that, right, to the to our MD counterparts. And, and I think that's fun. And I still like doing that mm-hmm. at, at meetings. If I'm invited to go to the pre-med society here at the University of Texas, I have people stand up and we put our hands on each other and do some simple palpatory things and that people just love that and get excited about it. And hopefully it sparks a little interest in osteopathy. Mm-hmm. And I think now as we're in the single accreditation system, there's that expanding opportunity to continue to share the concepts and the opportunities and hopefully propagate, you know, the mission vision and possibilities of osteopathic medicine on a broad scale. I like that you mentioned that in your podcast and I'm not very familiar with it because I'm not in an academic setting. Mm-hmm. But I, one thing I remember you saying that I, it, just blew my mind, but I want to make sure I understood you correctly. Do you think there is a place with this connection where it's not just everything being taken away from us and minimized? Do you think there, there is a place where we can help our, Yeah, I really, I really, and truly do. And, you know, I've been even more encouraged as Dr. Karen Nichols, who is the current chair of the ACGME, who is an osteopathic physician, and has held lots of roles in leadership and osteopathic organizations that she's there and advocating in this space and has offered up that she's getting a lot of support to say, how can, you know, there be support for osteopathic medicine, some shifts in the standards around incorporating community hospital training. You know, that's been a discrepancy where that's usually large academic research oriented institutions. And as we know, many osteopathic residencies are in smaller community hospitals and making space for that because there is value, right? That's where you're training to practice it can absolutely be a reasonable and really effective, meaningful training space. And so there are shifts happening and also seeing osteopathic accreditation for traditionally very allopathic institutions like the Cleveland Clinic and Nationwide Children's Hospital who have had dual programs for years 
and honor the merits of it and are bringing that forward. So I really do think it's an opportunity to truly bring it forward. And the grand hope, right, that all medicine has osteopathic influence. And so it's no longer necessarily this separate entity, but it's bringing those core concepts forward. So all physicians are engaging in them with their patients. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm choosing that line, right? Seeing the health in the single accreditation engagement. Absolutely. And so as you are working through nine years in, you said to your practice, how would you rate it now? And if we think about, right, how would this self talk to the nine years ago, Dr. Freeman in this space? Boy, I would just say, hang in there, girl. It's actually all going to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think nine years from now you're saying to yourself? What do you see happening as you move forward? I think that nine years from now, I'm going to tell the Georgiana today, I know that it took a lot of courage to do more and more coaching and spend less time in the clinic. And I'm proud of you for having the chutzpah and <laughs> doing it. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. And making those shifts is challenging. I'm coming around to the year when my clinic closed on a PPE preservation order. And then I kind of took the leap to let that be for now, right? Knowing that there's never a permanent choice in that space. And it's a continuous conversation right? of that it's okay. And this is the right thing for right now, but seeing the reach, like you said, you know, seeing how we can be expansive. And for me, coaching has really been an expansion of the osteopathic concept, putting it really into a tangible space. And so it feels like a grander design, you know, to bring that forward and knowing too, there's always the opportunity, right. To, to reform how we engage in the clinical space as well. Thank you for using the word osteopathic in your coaching and being focused on that. It just every time I see your logo and I and I see your webinar, it just it brings me joy to see that. Thank you for oh. keeping. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And I did have a suggestion recently. I put some daily posts out and someone said if I would run an osteopathic summer camp for, you know, DOs, <laughs> they would be all in. So I said, okay, I am gonna put that in place. I've had retreats, you know, on the radar, but we've had some different, you know closures. <laughs> but as things open up, I think that would be so fun to, to have a camp based in the tenant. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned and we'll see what we can get in place. Well, let's do it in Costa Rica and I'll, I can help teach people how to surf. Oh, fantastic. Yes. You know, I've, I've been a little ocean averse having grown up around all fresh water, but I had the great experience of an osteopathic course in Maui, which, you know, if we could do that and we had our tables on the coastline and we kayaked with the whales in the morning. So it brought me around to, to loving the ocean a bit more. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'll take your surf lessons. That'd be great. That's awesome. That'd be fun. Well, we've heard lots of great opportunities, but I'd love to hear how you see yourself for the health of all things. For the health of all things, I see the incorporation of the mind, body, and spirit, the physician as an instrument of healing and having that connection be the patient and the doctor together. Yeah. What, what, what the kids call functional medicine, which, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. That's another episode that is fascinating to me because it really sounds a lot like osteopathy 2.0. And my thought is if they're going to bring it forward, 
it's okay, right? They're doing if they're doing the good work. That's right. <laughs> bring it forward, even if it is by another name. I love that. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing, and please tell everyone where they can find you, whether it's in person in Austin or online. Yes, our website is freemanmedicalclinic.com, and it'll bring you around to the downtown doctor. It's the same business there, and I'm available as is my nurse practitioner and my physician assistant for in-clinic visits Monday through Friday in downtown Austin, Texas. I also see people via telemedicine. I do practice in the state of Washington at times. So I'm licensed in Texas and Washington. And then for coaching, uh, there's a link on, on my website where people can find me. So women over 40, if you you don't need to be going through menopause yet. Perimenopause uh, may be upon you, may not even realize it. And if you're looking to be juicy after 40, you're welcome to check in on, on that coaching, see if that's of benefit. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and for the amazing work that you're doing. And I look forward to our summer camp experience soon. I look forward to it too. Thank you so much. It was delightful to talk with you tonight. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.